Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Listeners, I know it's only been a week for you, but it's been nearly a month for me, and I'm so happy to be back. Hi, Sarah. Hi, listeners. It feels like an eternity has passed since I last got to talk with you. I I believe it has, honestly. I am a changed woman. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about our trip and all that kind of stuff next week. I'm still honestly processing. Um it was it was wonderful and you know I've done some updates via social media but it was a family trip with a lot of experiences so I'm I'm still kind of working through what I'm going to share and what is for us and working through mm-hmm. all the feels um I will say because it's relative to the show that one of the things that happened is I got a massage and it um put my back in a flare um, oh no. Like the woman did something and it um, has messed it up. But I did really well up until that point because that was like 10 days into the trip. Um, and I'm excited because Juve is sponsoring the show. And the first thing I did when I got home is I took back my Juve from my neighbor who borrowed it while I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I have that please <laughs> yes and have been doing some uh red light therapy on my back so i um i myself am like it's good it's good timing and this show is one that i have been begging you to do with me for a while and mm-hmm. it required so much research that it was a really good time for you to be able to do the research while I was gone. Um, and so I'm, I'm just excited overall that I'm like, I'm feeling the sponsor, I'm feeling the show, and I'm ready to jump in and we can just talk about my trip uh, maybe next week or something like that. And of course, we're going to talk about Juve later in the show. But if you're just listening to this off the top and you want to learn more, you can go to juve.com forward slash paleo view. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash paleo view and learn all about our favorite biohack. Yeah, I think um, so. I'm also like gearing up for paleo effects. Uh, I leave tomorrow. So actually, by the time this airs, I will be on a stage sticking it to the man. It's pretty much what I normally do there. Who's the, um, who's the man so, in this scenario? I don't know. I, don't know. I t- but I often end up in these situations where I am uh, seeing things that are either against. The, I often find myself in the like myth busting role where I am maybe saying things that aren't consistent with the messaging of the people I'm sharing the stage with. This is me trying to be very diplomatic. Um, so I often end up in these situations where, and I don't like confrontation. Like let's, I just want to be able to like, but here's the scientific study and then have everyone read it and be like, of course. And, and everyone be reasonable and logical, but unfortunately that's not actually how the world works. So I often find myself in these situations where I have to be like, well, wait, you can't make that claim. That's not, that's not what the scientific evidence says. And I, I, I will, I often find myself in these situations, especially at pale effects where I'm, um, defending science in like it it just sort of ends up being that way and it's basically happened every year for the last five years that there's been at least one for me super stressful moment where I have to you know get on my soapbox and it's way easier to be on a soapbox you know over Skype with you and not like in front of you know a few hundred or a thousand people well I've got like it's different different situation for me I've got good news you're just on this podcast with me, and we're going to be on a big soapbox this week. <laughs> we are. I, I think I'll consider this my warm-up soapbox. There you go. And then, and then next week, we can have a, a little uh, 
a little uh, summary of our lives of late show, and you can talk about your trip, and I can talk about Pale Effects, and it'll be awesome. And we've discovered the name of your next book on on the bottom of the list of 47 that you already have, In Defense of Science. Oh. <laughs> That would be, I was like, I almost did a spit take there because I was like just about to take a sip of tea. Um, Yeah, that would be a good one. I actually, so uh, this is a complete tangent and not related to the topic, but during uh, my workshop in February, talking about different types of scientific studies became really thematic. And so one of the things that I kind of interwove through the whole curriculum was, um, like how do you like how do you evaluate science? How do you use science? What do you look for in scientific studies? Is you know, and how do you detect pseudoscience? So also more of that, like when you're looking at um, messaging on the internet, how do you how do you detect you know some like legitimacy versus marketing? And uh, the call out of that was from a number of people with like that they would really like a course just focused on science. I know I'm in early talks with the Nutritional Therapy Association about putting together some kind of curriculum to that effect, whether it's like a workshop for next year or a module for the course. We haven't worked out any of those details. It's just a right now it's a lovely idea. And I'm starting to think about like how you know, because my knowledge on that was like a four-year PhD, right? So like that's, you know, that where I was immersed in it every day. And so I'm trying to figure out like how to condense that for the average person. But I, I really recognize the need for some kind of training for uh, healthcare professionals, like, or wellness professionals. So people who are sort of, they don't have necessarily med- medical degrees, but they're in that sphere and, and working with clients on a one-on-one basis, but also like the average person who's just looking for information on the internet. Like I recognize that there is the need for that type of curriculum and that I could probably put something together that's really awesome. But I just am in that early, like, Hmm, I, 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 how do I distill all of that? How do I distill that skill set into, something that I can communicate effectively over not four years, because I don't think, I don't think a four-year course is actually (laughs) realistic. It's not, it's not realistic at all. But yeah, I, I recognize, recognize there's, there's a need for uh, how to read science as a, as a course or a workshop or a something. Not not just how to read it, but then also to, use that and apply it Mm -hmm. in life without bias. I think that's where we see a lot of things. And honestly, you know, you and I, every single person is biased in their life. You know, we, we gravitate towards topics that we're interested in because we're biased towards it. But what we both try to do genuinely is to look at the science and let that drive justifications or not as to why something is, you know, improving your health or not, which is where this topic for today came from. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been interesting for me as being a part of this non-toxic living community, which, you know, if you're looking at one of those bubble charts, like, you know, paleo and anti-inflammatory foods and AIP are in this one bubble and non-toxic living is in this other bubble and they have a lot of things that overlap and then there's a lot of things that don't. And one of the things that doesn't really overlap is this idea of just the the beauty community, right? Like when you're when you start using cleaner products, you start seeing or being a part of um, a community of people who are you know using makeup more and doing things from an aesthetic perspective, which you and I try very hard to stay in a lane of, you know, health and happiness, I think is, is, is our general mindset. Right. And so we want everyone to do what makes them happy. And that looks different for other people. Um, but one of the things that, you know, has repeatedly come up in this, um, community that I now find myself living and, and bridging is, um, the use of, Botox, among many other things. And we're not going to get into that because we literally could not possibly cover anything more than what we're already covering today. Um, But I, I get a lot of questions from people about whether or not 
Botox is quote unquote safe. And also for those people with autoimmune diseases in particular, what it could be doing to their immune system. Um, and we've talked before a little bit about tattoos and that is something mm-hmm. that you're injecting into your system. And Sarah, you called out, you know, for example, the red dye in, um, a tattoo has mercury in it and what that could do for someone who has an autoimmune disease or MTHFR um, or just a regular system and how that might be processed. And, you know, we're going to get into the science today about what exactly is Botox and what could it do either for or against your body's health. Um, So for those of you who are not interested and you're like, I'm aging gracefully, like, kudos on you. (laughs) I think most people, as we get older, are like, oh, this used to be here. And, you know, like, what can I do about that? And, you know, for me, I I strive to help people find healthy solutions for these things. And Botox is like off my list. It's it's something that even just doing some preliminary research, I'm like, that's not for me. And, um, what I want to do is, is answer that question from a scientific perspective. Uh, but I also want people to think about it from perspective because I've seen some health community people talk about using Botox and that's the decision that they're making yeah. because they want to have the aesthetic result, which is their personal decision. And honestly, every single person has the right to make the decisions that they want for their body. What we want for you is to be informed about the decision that you're making. And what I don't want is I've had people come to me and say, well, so-and-so is doing it and therefore it must not be that bad. And that is where this idea of science and, you know, being able to look at information and determine whether or not it is right for you is so important. Um, because as an influencer, I take very seriously the idea that I don't want to say something just because I'm doing it is right for you. Like Sarah, I I put cream in my coffee. That's not right for you. Um, nope. And you eat popcorn and that's not right for me. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that those decisions aren't separate for the, each of us, right? So right. Um, similarly, this idea of whether or not Botox is right for someone is a personal decision. And our aim today is to talk about the science and why we would or would not make such a decision. Is that would fair? Not, would not. <laughs> would no, not. I, I, okay, I'm, try, I'm trying to lay the groundwork for, you know, to each their own. And for those people that have already done it, and maybe at the end of the show, you're like, oh, wow, um, maybe this is not something I want to continue to do. This is not a judgment show. And we, we try very hard um, to make everyone feel comfortable when they listen to the show. So I, j- I just kind of wanted to lay the groundwork and make sure that people didn't feel like this was an attack on you, a listener, or another person who may choose to do this or, or anything like that. This is an information-based show, and we're letting the science speak for itself. And that's how we are personally deriving our decisions. Because if Botox was safe, I would go out and get rid of this forehead wrinkle in a heartbeat. <laughs> For sure. I actually, I want to make a sort of a tangential point to what you just said before we get into the science, which is um, there's a lot of pressure on us influencers to look a certain way. And I, you know, as somebody, you know, I have a PhD in medical biophysics. I take this scientific approach to everything that I say, but I am acutely aware of the fact that Uh, being a good writer, having the scientifically balanced approach is, if that was the only thing I had sort of going for me, I would not have the audience, uh, an audience the size that I have now. Like it, there's this extra thing and it, it, it just is what it is. And I, I would love that if it was not the case, but it is the case that looking uh, young and healthy and vibrant and fit and being charismatic is part of the credentials. So my PhD is not a sufficient credential for me to have earned the influencer status that I've earned. Um, it, it part of a package and as an influencer, and this is true for across, right across the, the different communities. Um, it, 
it does add this extra, right? There's this extra pressure. And as we age, it, it becomes, um, it, the, the cost benefit analysis becomes different. And that's, that's our experience. It's also true in other areas where, um, you know, there's a lot of different places in society where women especially, but this happens to a lot of men as well, feel pressured to lurk a certain way. And a fast solution like Botox can just seem like, I mean, certainly it's a lot better than a surgical option, right? Which is way more expensive, includes way more downtime, um, still has adverse um, potential for adverse effects. Like, you know, I, I understand the lure of this. And I was actually offered Botox by a functional practitioner um, last late last summer. And I, I just, I kind of looked at him like I, I couldn't believe this was something, like a, a conversation he wanted to have with me. And I basically, I was like, no, 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 no. Let me just use your infrared sauna, please. Like it, it, it really was um, uh, a different a different, a different philosophy, um, where this particular practitioner, um, wasn't as interested in root, root causes, although he did a lot of like the functional medicine type stuff, but he, he was much, he, he's, he, uh, cast a, a wide net in terms of the services that he was offering. And I, um, I, I, so I just want to acknowledge understanding the pressure that comes with aging in certain uh, communities and certain types of career. And, and I think that it's, you know, the information that we're going to present today is, is, you know, pretty much puts Botox on the uh, ick list. <laughs> but, um, and we're not going to get into some of the other options because, uh, you know, as Stacey mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be here for six hours if we did that. But I, I think it's just important to sort of acknowledge that um, the pressure that a lot of us feel that can drive us towards considering something that without the, the knowledge of what we're going to talk about today, um, and maybe maybe the, also the way a lot of medical professionals will present the, the safety profile of Botox, um, it seems like a it seems like an effective way to get the results that we're looking for. And we're going to talk about the cost benefit analysis, but I just want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge the temptation is what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good point. And not just for us influencers. I think as, as you mentioned, it's, I, I think females feel it a lot be given the, the stress that is in popular culture, but certainly can affect men as well. I, I think from a commercial perspective, growing up and seeing so many photoshopped images of women in magazines and advertisements and that kind of stuff has driven a generation of women who are still striving to look like that today and who are aging and, um, what I personally have done, in addition to more natural solutions, um, infrared, juve, different things that were, you know, you can do, um, obviously, you're not going to have an immediate and drastic result of, you know, paralyzing your um, skin or whatever it is. But the other thing that I've done is changed who is influencing my life so that mm -hmm. I am no longer seeing a barrage of perfection. I have a bunch of influencers in my newsfeed who inspire me to be myself and be real and be natural and embrace my flaws and different things like that. And um, if a listener is feeling the pressure of something, I would just suggest um, to consider where that pressure is coming from and how you can control and reduce that influence. Because I do think that that is so powerful and, and sometimes subliminal, like you don't even realize, you know, I, I myself have been invited to numerous Botox parties, which started when I was 24 years old, I got invited to my first what? Botox party. And I said to the woman, because I had, I had coal and I was in mom groups mm -hmm. who were older than I was. And it was like a mom group who was doing a Botox party. 
kind of like you would do, you know, a Tupperware party. <laughs> and I was like, I would love to come and have a party with you, but I have zero interest in Botox. I'm 24 years old and I have no wrinkles. Like I have great skin. And she's like, well, that's, you really want to start now to prevent the wrinkles. And I was like, oh my gosh. So what I'm saying is, is that it's, it's persuasive and and you might not even realize, you know, the the person in your life who might be like, mm, mm-hmm, you know, like just those little messages, which you might dismiss, but maybe nag up, nag and creep up on you in your mm-hmm. life. Like what can you do to control that and to feel good about who you are and embrace aging? I've always said that Matt's, um, crow's feet, what are they called? Like smile lines or, you know what I mean? Those, the ones that come on the side of his eyes, I think are so freaking attractive. I cannot tell you. <laughs> and I tell him all the time, I'm like, that those lines right there tell me that you were happy and you, mm-hmm. and you smiled and I'm like and every time I see them they make my heart flutter so find someone in your life that tells you that your flaws are beautiful and now the science <laughs> botulism toxin is what botox is uh you know botox was a, a carefully uh considered shortening of um, the the name of a neurotoxic protein called botulinum toxin from the bacteria Clostridium botulinum. And the way that it causes botulism is by preventing release of a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine from neurons so that neurons basically can't communicate with each other, and it causes what's called flaccid paralysis. So it's paralysis by muscle relaxation, um, as opposed to paralysis by muscle stiffening. And uh, it is actually the most lethal toxin known to man. So a lethal dose of botulinum toxin is as low as one or two nanograms per kilogram body weight when injected either into your muscle or into your bloodstream, which is an incredibly, a, a nanogram is a millionth of a gram. It's, it's an incredibly small amount um, of the toxin is, is lethal. And, you know, it was, um, it was studied originally in research because of this, this interest in this ability for it to uh, block nerves that control muscles to cause this, again, muscle relaxation, but also muscle paralysis. And its initial uses were sort of in, in there's definitely some medical uses. And I, I we're not going to really talk about the medical uses so much as the cosmetic uses, because always when you're dealing with a chronic condition, the uh, cost-benefit analysis shifts, right? So when you're talking about cosmetics, um, I think it's a it's just a different conversation than when you're talking about crippling migraines. Um, Botox has been used for post-stroke muscle spasticity, so some people after strokes their their muscles will contract and um, refuse to relax, and it's incredibly painful. Um, there's study there's studies using it, or not studies, but it's also being used clinically for things like lazy eye, um, refractory overactive bladder. Um, excessive underarm sweating. So there, there's medical uses where, where Botox has, um, has some therapeutic benefit and that's always a different evaluation, but it's also worth noting as we sort of talk about some of the undesirable side effects and adverse effects of Botox use. And this, by the way, also, um, applies to other botulinum toxin, products like Dysport, right? There's some other, um, other highly related, um, toxins that are, are used with the, for the same effect. So this really is, is the entire Botox family of drugs that we're talking about. Um, but the, it's actually important to recognize that the therapeutic doses tend to be even higher than the cosmetic doses. And so actually the risk of an adverse effect is much higher uh, in the therapeutic applications. So if you are 
uh, dealing with one of these situations where Botox may have therapeutic benefit, I just highly recommend having a very thorough conversation with your medical provider and really understand what your other options are, whether or not you've exhausted your other options, what to look for as a, as a side effect or an adverse effect, like what is going to have you race back to the doctor because Botox injections have caused death. Like this is not, uh, this is, not a harmless substance. It is the most lethal toxin ever identified. So, um, so while the doses that are used for cosmetic procedures and, and therapeutic procedures are extraordinarily small, we're sort of talking like a trillionth of a gram, um, the, the adverse effects can be extraordinarily serious. So you definitely want to have that conversation with a doctor before you before you go into this. And actually, I think that's one of the things that I found very frustrating as I started digging into the scientific literature. Actually, two things. One is the lack of long-term studies uh, on the adverse effects of, of Botox. It's actually incredibly, incredibly frustrating to see so few scientific studies look at effects beyond two years or look at effects of multiple injections beyond, say, four or five injections. Um, and so the, the data that I'm pulling from is from that handful of studies that do look at the compounding of effects over time by, you know, going, because when you start Botox, typically you get another injection every three to four months, whether you're using it for therapeutic purposes or for cosmetic purposes. And the um, risk of an adverse effect increases over time and it increases um, especially once you hit that like 10 to 11 dose mark is where you start to see um, the the risk of, of side effects and adverse effects increase. Um, so I, I think it's very, very important to, to, if you're thinking about this for therapeutic purposes, to really have a very thorough understanding of um, what, what could go wrong before you get this as a therapy so that you just know what to look for because you definitely want to seek medical treatment as soon as possible if you have an adverse effect. Yeah. Pause. <laughs> I was, I was, I thought you were going to jump into something else and I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, I have absolutely nothing to add to that. I think, um, What's interesting to me too, and, and we're not going to get into it, but there's a lot of like rebranding of Botox because I mm -hmm. think people are like, oh, I'm not going to do Botox, but I'm going to do this other thing. And they say that it's not so bad, but it's really just marketed differently. Yep. Um, and so I think not just be aware of Botox, but just look at the warning labels. Just do a little Google search before you put something in your body just to make sure if you think it's not the same, because um, we're going to go into the science of, of Botox um, in particular, but a, a lot of things, um, names are changed and, you know, not just for Botox, but they do this. We've talked about it for like different kinds of sugars and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Like just make sure you're doing a little preliminary research. So I think it's really important to differentiate between what a side effect is and what an adverse effect or an adverse event or an adverse reaction is. So a side effect is like a minor complaint that happens on the side that is self-limiting. So it basically resolves on its own, where an adverse effect is a major problem, potentially life-threatening, that requires some kind of medical intervention. And both are known to happen with Botox use. Um, I found this list um, really eye-opening. Am I, is that a pun for talking about Botox? A little bit. <laughs> I, I got um, it. I, you got I it? Left. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, so this is a list of side effects. So these are things that are considered temporary. Most side effects uh, resolve in a few days. However, there are side effects that can be um, the result of diffusion of the Botox into an adjacent area where um, it wasn't intended to treat. Um, so, or it can be the result of um, sometimes facial muscles react a little bit differently than expected. So they're, they're basically the, they're the Botox effects, but it's like a bad injection. Um, and it can be a bad injection because of the practitioner. Or it can be a bad injection because it, the Botox just diffused 
to an adjacent muscle, it just had a wider effect or um, your muscles are, you know, in a slightly different place than, than that, the average person, right? So there's, sometimes it's the practitioner's fault and sometimes it's just bad luck. So uh, those types of like, just due to the injection can um, include things like drooping eyelids, uneven eyebrows, a crooked smile, which can also result in drooling, um, all, and, you know, things like asymmetry, um, sometimes things like um, uh, uh, swelling. So um, those things can all be res- related to the actual injection. And then there's things that are related, like a side effect from the Botox. So most people will experience some kind of minor bruising, discomfort, uh, inflammation in the area of injection typically resolves within a few days. But then there's more systemic effects. And this is this is the thing that I really want to focus on um, is systemic side effects are a pretty good indicator of a locally applied drug getting into your full system in some way. And I'm just, just put a pin in that because we're going to come back to it. So some of the systemic side effects include things like fatigue, headache, neck pain, double vision, either dry eyes or excessive tearing, fever and chills, and then things like allergic reactions. So um, hives, rashes, asthma-type symptoms. There have been reported anaphylactic um, reactions and death from anaphylaxis from Botox, which would be a severe life-threatening allergy. So that that's the list of side effects. Um, adverse reactions um, typically relate to botulism, right? So they're typically the symptoms of uh, a botulism poisoning. So they would involve things like difficulty speaking, difficulty swallowing, right? So this is um, the botulism kills by causing full body um, paralysis. So severe uh, severe muscle weakness uh, and full body muscle weakness, loss of bladder control, vision problems. So those are typically symptoms of um, of the more the the more severe reactions. Um, and then there's kind of this like gray area in between. So things that some studies might qualify as an adverse event and others might qualify as a side effect. Right? Things like um, vomiting, um, effects on, uh, heart function, um, effects on lung function, those things, depending on, on how severe they are, might get put into either side of the spectrum. But what I think is really, um, kind of scary when you start digging into the data on Botox is that there really are very, very few studies that have looked at, the effects of repeated treatments and long-term effects, especially beyond two years. And I keep finding study like review studies um, and meta-analyses that basically just call out, you know, paucity of published data. Actually, one was like, there is a remarkable paucity of published data. Um, Like like it's, it's amazing that something that, you know, I think the estimates are something like 5 million Botox treatments a year globally. It's a $2 billion a year Um, business right now. And there's, um, and that's just the cosmetic use, right? There's also the therapeutic use on top of that. There's very, very few studies. Um, So there was one done, I mean, this was published actually back in 2005. um, And it was a a mix of patients um, receiving Botox injections for cosmetic purposes and therapeutic purposes. And they actually followed these participants over 12 years. And it's the longest study that I've been able to find. And what they showed was that um, during that 12-year study period, there were 20 cases of adverse effects um, in 16 of the study participants. About a third of the participants um, had effects. And these included difficulty swallowing, drooping eyelid, neck weakness, nausea, vomiting, blurred vision, general or marked weakness, difficulty chewing, hoarseness, edema, which is swelling, difficulty speaking, and heart palpitations. And so there was a 2015 review that kind of p- tried to pull together the few studies that um, really looked at effects beyond sort of two years of treatment. 
and showed that, you know, the studies that have been limited to two years basically show that over time, there's no increase in, in risk. And depending on the dose and the, the um, site of injection and whether or not it's therapeutic or cosmetic, um, the risk of adverse effects is anywhere between, you know, less than a percent to uh, three to four percent to 40 to 50 percent. Um, there's been some smaller studies in like post-stroke um, muscle spasticity that show way like almost 100 percent um, risk of adverse effects. So it's it's highly variable and dependent on exactly the situation that it's being used for and the dose. But this particular 2015 review looked at what, you know, what's the long-term studies and they show there've been very, very few studies uh, so far and that um, the risk of adverse effects seems to really appear after uh, and, and increase after the 10th or 11th injection. So that's sort of like this magic, you know, for most people that's going to be something like three to four years out of, you know, doing this regularly. And so that hasn't really been studied as rigorously as you would expect it to be given its widespread use. And so there are this sort of like handful of studies right around 2015, 2016, there seemed to be this um, spike in studies um, showing problematic effects. And it started to hit the news of like Botox might not be as safe as we think it is. And then what's really interesting is that there hasn't been a lot, there's been only a handful of studies in the last couple of years that sort of build on that. But, you know, in the grand scheme of scientific research, often a study like this takes three or four years or five years to complete. So I think we're sort of waiting for a lot of these research labs to come out with their their follow-up papers. So, What's fascinating is, is that, again, in this time frame, 2015-2016, there were a couple of papers that showed that Botox actually travels through neurons. So up until 2015, it was believed that Botox could diffuse a short way through the cells, so it would affect the um, nerves right at the point of injection then a little bit beyond, right? So it would diffuse. Now it's known that it doesn't just diffuse, it also migrates. So it travels in the body, which explains how you could get a full body weakness from a Botox injection. So this is the explanation for these systemic adverse effects. But there was a a couple of studies and these these hit, right, there were media articles written about um, these particular studies when they were when they were published, but I don't think it's necessarily hit the um, the the general body of knowledge around Botox, right? It doesn't seem to be part of the average conversation yet. But there was a couple of studies where they in both labs were actually able to observe the toxin basically traveling um, in in a couple of different ways. So it actually travel um, up the the neuron and and basically into the next neuron. Um, and it can actually travel up the neuron and then be secreted outside of the cell and then in, and then get taken up by the next neuron, but also cells on, on other sides. So there's the, the pathways are extremely detailed. Um, it's, it's fascinating for anybody who's into cell biology. We can put links to these papers in the show notes, but it's, really disconcerting. So one lab was very much focused on understanding the systemic effects and the, the, the main, um, the main professor who was overseeing the work was, was quoted as saying the discovery that some of the injected toxin can travel through our nerves is worrying considering the extreme potency of the toxin, which seems like such the quintessential understatement. Um, but the other lab was actually really focused on understanding exactly what pathways it was happening. So they were looking at engineering Botox to not have this um, secondary pathway where it can travel to adjacent neurons and work on engineering it so that it would be safer and, and stay local, which is a definitely a very interesting challenge for, for that lab to take on. So there's these effects where Botox can travel systemically. And of course, um, that that is the reason for these other effects um, related to the nervous system. So related to 
that flaccid paralysis that botulinum toxin causes. There's also direct immune effects, which also has some really, I think, concerning um, implications, especially for the central nervous system. So there are only a couple of studies that have really looked at how botulinum uh, toxin is impacting the um, it's impacting the uh, inflammatory cytokines, which are like, like these chemical messengers of inflammation that neurons are secreting to signal the immune system adjacent, um, but also how it's impacting immune system cells. And basically, it's causing an incredibly intense inflammatory response. So the inflammatory cytokines that are being secreted are the ones that are the most associated with very, very high levels of inflammation. So these are things like tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-6. If you're familiar at all with uh, immune system function and cytokines, those are ones that are going to trigger trigger your like, aha, no, those are bad cytokines. <laughs> um, little, little, your finger's going to wag in the air and you'll be like, nah, that's not good. So there's these direct effects on the nerves at the site of injection, but then Botox can travel through the central nervous system, through the nerves, and it has this effect uh, on the immune system, stimulating inflammation. And those are likely the mechanisms behind the side effects and the adverse reactions. But then I, as I was researching this and I really feeling very frustrated at the lack of long-term studies, studies looking at whether or not the risk of adverse effects compounds over time. Because that is, I think, a, a, I would I would have thought that would be a necessary piece of information for how Botox is administered clinically, whether it's cosmetic or therapeutic. I would have thought that would be necessary information for FDA approval. Like I would have thought that would be a precursor, and obviously it wasn't. Um, but I hit on this whole other field of research looking at the impacts of Botox on mental and emotional health. And where this field of research started was actually Botox being administered for neck spasms. And there was these case studies of Botox being administered and people finding relief despite the fact that the muscle tone in their neck hadn't changed. So muscle tone was being measured uh, by the attending physician. Botox was administered. People came back for their follow-ups and they were like, this is amazing. And this is, you know, be beyond placebo effect. So so an effect that's that's greater than that. And basically saying, this is amazing. I have so much relief. And the doctor is like looking at the neck muscle and being like, there's no change. So that Side effect. Side side note here is that Botox is only eighty percent effective. So there's still twenty percent of people who get Botox, whether this is therapeutic or cosmetic, and have no. They might still have side effects, but they don't actually get the benefits of Botox. So that's another little piece of information that that I really think is important for people to understand. But there's this whole other really interesting field of research that came out of like, okay, so if there's this, you know, people are feeling feeling better, they're feeling happier, that implies some kind of impact on the brain. And when you combine that, I mean, most of these studies, most of the studies are older than the studies showing that um, Botox can travel through through neurons. Um, but when you combine those two pieces of information, you go like, oh, of course, if it's traveling through neurons, it can travel, you know, straight up the spinal cord to the brain and have an effect there. So what is that effect? And what's really interesting is there's this collection of studies showing that Botox blunts emotional responses and emotional experience. And it's um, related some to direct impacts on um, regions of the brainstem that are responsible for manifesting emotional states. And some of it is related to this feedback from facial muscles. So literally, if you um, – there's really interesting studies where they like showed people after Botox, showed them pictures of – or video of people um, expressing emotion through facial expressions. And after Botox, they weren't able to identify the um, – especially – the subtle signals of an emotional response so that, you know, when you're talking with your friend and you can detect, Oh, you know, something wrong. I should ask, right. That, that type of like the, the, the very small details, people with Botox were unable 
to detect that. And it was thought to be believed um, that we sort of naturally mirror the facial expressions of the people that we're talking to. And because our muscles are in our face are paralyzed after Botox that we can't, we don't have the um, feedback signals from those facial muscles that would help us to feel things like empathy and then recognize the emotional experience of the person that we're talking to, which this is, is blowing my mind. Right? Because as you were talking about it, I was like, what would be the mechanism for that? And then when you just explained it, I'm like, I have nothing. Like, did you just drop the mic? I, as a person who really finds um, evaluating things important, not just, not just like in life. I mean, not just in my, you know, day to day, my work, whatever, but like, I really find it important to have human understanding and, and, um, I'm uh, an empath and all that blah, blah, blah. But um, the <laughs> idea of not being able to pick up on subtle cues like that would devastate me. Like, honestly, it's um, so important for me. Like, I'm, I'm such a good reader of people. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just um, would be devastated. And it's fascinating to me that the um, – I know that it's – not proven, but the idea of where this is coming from is in an inability to respond back in an understand, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's. Yeah. An, just, ability, an inability I'm, I'm that, to mirror the, the facial expressions. Yeah. I'm that emoji with the brain coming out of the head <laughs> right now. That's me. You know, the, it's actually, I mean, there are um, a number of studies, like maybe eight, 10 studies that have, have looked at this. So it's, it's not, it's not like there's just one study that's kind of like way out there. It, this has has been fairly thoroughly studied, which is really, really fascinating. And actually, one of the studies, I think this is where it's even more concerning because it's impacting regions of the brainstem. So the the, the brainstem, right, the amygdala uh, is a an area where it's it's basically sort of considered our primitive brain. So a lot of our instincts uh, arise out of uh, neuronal activity in the amygdala, a lot of our nonverbal language skills arise out of, um, out of activity in amygdala. Um, for example, uh, during adolescence, the frontal cortex, which is normally where the language center is, kind of defers to the amygdala um, in terms of communication, which is why teenagers to seem to communicate with grunts and eye rolling so much. Um, this is actually... The, the neuroscience of adolescence, which I'm reading about because I have one and it's fascinating, but it's also, I actually literally to my child, I'm like, um, I would like to speak to the frontal cortex and not the amygdala now. And then my ki my kids laugh and then try to say what, what they were going to try to say. I dare any other listener to say that to their children and to post the result on social media. <laughs> Please tag me. Please. <laughs> um, uh, Yes. I, uh, just as an aside, I high, for anyone else with, with uh, adolescence, I highly recommend the book Brainstorm by Dan Siegel, who is a neuropsychiatrist. He's a leader in mindfulness practice um, based out of UCLA, but he goes through all of the changes in the brain that are happening in adolescence and basically how they're like fundamental to the growth that happens in adolescence, which is a, a very different way of looking at that period of our lives. So, um, just as, just as an aside, that is a great book, but, um, what's really relevant to our conversation on Botox is that because Botox is interfering with amygdala activity, there also is potential for effects on memory, um, on survival instincts and on, um, emotional, like just feeling emotions in general, which is, I, that's kind of scary. That's, uh, I mean, I, I think that, um, I think that anything that blunts emotional responses, um, dissociates us from our lives. And, um, I, I find, I, I feel very uncomfortable with, with the idea of doing a procedure to look younger and get rid of those, you know, 
wrinkles that we don't want. And then like, as a result, we like turn ourselves into an automaton. Like it's, it's, I just find that terrifying. It's also, um, reminds me of the podcast that we had, I think with Mark Sisson, where we talked about the importance of community and, um, having that interaction, that social interaction, that humans are social creatures by default. Um, and so I'm wondering just overall what that does. And it gets me to, you know, the soapbox that I kind of started on and shockingly, I find myself back on it again, which is (laughs) this idea of, um, giving up something for the benefit of another thing in this case, the aesthetics and, does that really make the person happy? Do you know what I mean? Like I, from my experience, I've never heard from someone who had, um, a cosmetic procedure that said, and now I am complete and I am fulfilled and everything is great. And I set aside the things like you said, there are medical procedures that end up being somewhat cosmetic. So for example, you know, Finn might need a nose job for the fact that he has a severely deviated septum, which causes him to like not be able to run in baseball. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, um, you know, going for something because you feel that it's aesthetically pleasing, whether it's that last five, 10 pounds or whatever it is. Like, it's just, I, I hear from people that much like, um, an eating disorder, you know, whatever, uh, disordered eating and all that kind of stuff that on, on the other side of that, whatever it is, you, you lose that five pounds or, you know, you get rid of that one wrinkle and it's not like it actually solves the problem. It actually just highlights another for you or makes you feel guilty about the thing that you did. And then you still don't like what you look. And so then you decide to do something else. And, you know, there's all these articles about people who become addicted to, um, aesthetic procedures. And I just wonder like, okay, so you go down this path and you do that thing and you you lose your ability to fully relate to your circle, your community, and you haven't actually helped yourself with the problem you were trying to solve to begin with, which is why for me, absolutely, I understand the desire to want to be your best or feel your best, whether that's aesthetics or health or whatever it is. But I just think that society has come to a point where they've lost sight of that, you know, like there's, okay, you're looking at this one sliver of that factor, but you have to consider all the other things. And I thought we were going into the show just talking about only the health things, which I am, you know, fully uh, aware of and why I wouldn't do something. But it hadn't occurred to me that kind of that mental emotional factor um, and how you relate socially to others would also come into play because that is much more um, problematic for me personally. Not that the the health things aren't, but like... Amatory response is also... Right. I I think that's also bad. 100%. But for most people, they think of the side effects that you listed at the top of the show, like, oh, I'll have a droopy eyelid for a couple of weeks. I can get over that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's, um, it's the nervous system effect that I wanted to talk about that you and I both know is where the real problem is, right? Like, you can have a, you know a something and you get over it for a couple of weeks. Like we all get zits, you know, that comes and goes. Um, but really what the underlying issue is, is the inflammatory system and you want to try to resolve that. And that's exactly what the real issue is for me about the Botox, but then to compound that with mental and emotional and societal, um, impacts makes it that much more, horrifying. I have no other words at this point. I haven't finished my coffee. P.S. We're recording in daylight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think that it's this collection of effects that, um, that make Juve such a serendipitous sponsor for this episode, because, when I think about the things that would bring somebody to Botox, I just, my, my first reaction is like, well, what about all of the effective safe things that you could do 
instead. Um, and certainly, right, diet and hydration have a really major impact on skin health. Exercise has a really major impact on skin health. So there's also like the diet and lifestyle things that are basically all the things we talk about on the show all the time. But if you're going to invest in something to improve your um, your appearance cosmetically, Juve Red Light Therapy is like the number one thing that I would recommend because there's a ton of studies showing that the two wavelengths in Juve help to reduce inflammation and stimulate collagen production in the skin and can act they're actually the same wavelengths that are used in cosmetic procedures for um, red light and infrared light therapy. They're used to minimize scars. Um, uh, age spots, fine lines. Um, and it, it does this all by like stimulating. So reducing inflammation and then stimulating collagen formation under the skin, which is the, it's the loss of collagen in your skin, um, that causes wrinkles in the first place. So it actually helps to make your skin physically younger, not just appear younger, which is what Botox is doing. And, um, I thought that this episode would be a great episode to sort of compare and contrast Juve Light Therapy versus an infrared sauna, which is a question I get asked all the time. And I did refer earlier on in the show to trying out an infrared sauna at, at a, a doctor's office. And, um, and so I just want to like, hey, here's why Juve is, is way cool. So an infrared sauna is a higher wavelength and it basically works by increasing your core temperature and forcing you to sweat. And sweating is a detoxification pathway. So that's how an infrared sauna works. Juve actually combines two different wavelengths, so an infrared wavelength and also a red wavelength. And so it uh, can still increase your core temperature if you sit in front of it for long enough. So you can still get that sweat effect. But the red, the addition of the red light to the infrared light is why Juve is like the magic formula because red light uh, actually um, goes deeper into your skin and it is the main wavelength that is increasing ATP production and increasing cellular health and having those really important anti-inflammatory properties. So you actually kind of get the benefits of both red light and infrared with a juve. And so if I know like this is the question I've been asked a lot, it's like, well, I was looking at a, a home infrared sauna versus a juve, um, you know, which which one should I get? And I'm never going to tell anybody what's best for them. Um, but this is why I love Juve is that it, it is sort of the best of both worlds. And of all of the home, you know, red light therapy type things that are out there, Juve is the only one that actually delivers therapeutic, um, energy levels. So that's the other thing that makes Juve really, really special is that you're getting, um, you're getting that sort of, it's basically like a jewel, um, per minute per centimeter squared approximately. Um, so in just a couple of minutes, you're getting therapeutic doses and that is unlike any of their competitors. Like Juve, Juve completely stands out among any of these types of devices in terms of, um, the wavelengths it's delivering the energy deposition. And I also think the convenience because, you can just get a stand, you can hang it on your door, you can get one of like a bunch of different sizes. They connect like Lego, so you can build them over time. They have a little tiny one for travel. They're kind of awesome. And if we're like thinking about effects of, if we're thinking about doing Botox for our wrinkles, I think red and near infrared light therapy, which you can get from Juve, is a way better way to go because you're actually going to make your skin healthier instead of making your skin not move because it's paralyzed slight problem <laughs> just a little i know we've mentioned it before but i just want to remind our listeners that if you do want to shop juve you can do so by going to juve.com that's j-o-o-v-v.com slash paleo view and you can see a number of different sized devices. They're all just as effective as Sarah talked about, but they come in different price ranges based on the size and whether, you know, they have a stand and all that kind of stuff that we talked about. So I just wanted to remind our listeners that if you do want to check out Juve and get some of the health benefits that we discussed, you can do so by going to joovv.com slash paleo view. Um, of course, there are 
also topical treatments that people can do mm-hmm. if they have wrinkles. But I would just advise, Sarah, I believe you actually mentioned this on the show once before, and I've done additional research into this, which is majorly concerning, is a lot of the anti-aging products that are on the market actually intentionally disrupt your hormones so that you have an increase in estrogen project- projection. Oh production, sorry. Um, (laughs) And those of us who are working really hard on lifestyle factors to regulate hormones, what you don't want to be doing is slathering yourself in some sort of cream that's just going to disrupt them. So Mm -hmm. I would just be really careful about the products that you're using as well to ensure that they're not also um, causing adverse health effects as a trade-off for um, anti-aging benefits. For sure. I mean, so I think that, I mean, the summary is um, aging. It's not the most fun thing in the world, but there are we ways can't to do all it gracefully. Be, we can't all be Jane Fonda on Grace and Frankie. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Which um, it's not at all natural, friends. <laughs> <laughs> um. But also, you know, a lot of the a lot of the things that we're already doing in our community, the diet, the lifestyle, the search for, um, you know, natural, not in the buzzword natural, but natural as in the from nature and not as in the from toxic bacteria type nature um, products. Uh, So the search for, you know, products that are not going to be full of chemicals, um, you know, the, the whole cleaning up our household, cleaning up our lifestyle, and then the smart and informed use of biohacks. Like I consider Juve to be a biohack and it's one that has fantastic science behind it, which is why, you know, we're so happy that Juve is sponsoring the podcast these days because they're phenomenal. And like, I, I love, I love, I mean, I only would accept, uh, a sponsor if I knew that I could point to all of the great science to support what they were doing. And, and this is, that, that's what's happening here. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a necessarily a like one magical thing that fixes everything. It's this, like the little bit of benefit that we get from each one of those choices so that it compounds, right? The nutrient density, the um, making sure that we're getting enough collagen in our diet, right? Getting those amino acids helps our body make those amino acids, vitamin A and D and C. And there's some minerals that are all really important in that collagen production. And then doing something like red light therapy to help drive collagen production and reduce inflammation. And then putting products on our skin that are actually going to nourish our skin. And as you mentioned, Stacey, not mess up our hormones. Like it's, it's the little bit of benefit we get from all of those things that, um, to me, I think the goal isn't, um, to have my skin look younger. It's to have my skin be younger. And that, that is where the diet and lifestyle and the smart use of biohacks that have scientific validity all comes together for like magic. Awesome. Well, actually science. Awesome. (laughs) I just want to echo that and just remind people that you are wonderful and beautiful and splendid just as you are. I've talked so many times on the show about accepting yourself where you are and wanting to change is so important. Um, And so if you want to see improvement in your skin or have some sort of um, benefits from Botox, just try to find acceptance with who you are before you go on to fulfill that next great thing. Um, Because you might find that those laugh lines are just as hot on you as they are on my husband. (laughs) Um, And you don't want to change them or you are willing to try, you know, X, Y, or Z before you do something. And just as a reminder, I, I know I mentioned at the beginning of the show, but if this is something that you've done already, like this is not meant to be a dig on you. And no you might, trips. Exactly. That does you zero benefits. And you might have 40 friends who've all done this and had, according to you, zero um, negative 
effects, side effects or adverse effects. But you honestly have no idea what's going on with people unless they tell you. And frankly, when you're talking about a toxin being injected and having um, nervous system effects, there are things that could be happening to people that they're not associating with the fact that they've had Botox multiple times um, that now they're seeing. For example, Sarah, you listed asthma being something like maybe Mm -hmm. that's something that they're having and they're not relating to the fact that they've been doing this. So you never really know. The only thing that you can control is your body and your life and the things that you do for your health. And so our goal is to simply help you be informed to make the best decisions for you and your health. And if after listening to this podcast, you think, I didn't hear anything that I'm not willing to face, like that is absolutely your decision. And we're not here to tell you what to do or or what judgment to have. It's just not something that Sarah and I are personally willing to do because we work so hard on our health and other aspects of our life. So, but then again, someone might say, I do all of these things to be healthy in this one area of my life. And I really want this. And so I'm going to go do it. And that's everybody's decision. And I, I just want, to make sure that people have the information because I've seen so much going around online and, um, you know, with the changing of the name of Botox and saying, oh, well, it's this thing now. And so therefore it's not as bad and I'm going to do it. I just want to make sure that people are advocating for themselves and, and looking into things before doing something that you find out after the fact, when you're having an adverse effect, that it was caused by something that you didn't know could cause it, right? That That's the last thing we want. So thank you for tuning in and having patience on this deeply scientific show. Thank you, Sarah, <laughs> for pulling together all of this research and information for our listeners. And I know that we will probably get a lot of questions and have I'm, to do a follow-up. Um, I'm so, anticipating hundreds of questions yes. related to, well, if Botox isn't good, what about this injectable yes. or this injectable? Yes. Yep. So if that's you right now and you have a ton of questions, don't forget that you can submit them through our websites or on social media. Although I will say when you ask a question on social media, it's harder to keep track than if mm-hmm. you email it to us. Um, so we will try to compile anything that we get. And if we need to do a, you know, a follow-up show or whatever that is, you of course can trust that we will as soon as we are able. Um, but this show took Sarah weeks to pull together. So if we do a follow-up, <laughs> don't expect it right away. Um, and then Sarah, have a wonderful, wonderful trip to PaleoFX and sticking it to whomever you got to stick it whichever, to. <laughs> whichever man. Or whichever. Wh- you never exactly. Know. Exactly. Right. Whichever person is, is holding you down, push them <laughs> off. I know you can. You've got the the power and the muscles to be able to to defend yourself um and mentally and physically so <laughs> yes have a wonderful trip and um when you get back i will be rested less jet lagged feeling better and we can both talk about each of our wonderful trips Woo-hoo! thank you for listening to the paleo view if you enjoyed the show please take a moment to rate us on itunes You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Well, you had to mess it up because I was on time. And I'm already in the show notes. Yeah. That I wrote? Good. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, oh, hold on. Let me pull this up. Like, I've been sitting at my desk. Look at this. Daytime podcasting. Magic. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm actually drinking a caffeinated beverage while we while we podcast. It's pretty special. Me too. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.